Welcome to the Nutrition Unpeeled podcast, a place where hungry minds discuss all things evidence-based nutrition, fitness, mindset, and healthy living. We're your hosts, registered dietitian and nutritionists, Courtney and Darian. Let's dive in. The information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only, so always speak to a healthcare provider such as a registered dietitian who can work with you directly about your unique healthcare needs. Hello there, and welcome back to the Nutrition Unpeeled podcast. Today, we're talking all about nutrition for runners. Um, So before we dig into today's content, Darian, what was the best thing you ate this week? Oh, Oh, you know what? I was at a friend's house for um, a birthday celebration, and she made these like spicy Nashville hot sandwiches, and like they were coated in like three different ways of like spiciness and then like a really sweet coleslaw on them and they were delicious that sounds awesome yeah what was the best thing you ate well I've been really into bowls lately Mm. like every night for supper it seems to be some variation of of a bowl with like rice and meat and lots of veggies and so this week we made beef barbacoa bowls Mm. and they were so good I did like a pulled beef in the slow cooker and then paired it with um, sautéed peppers and onions and guac and some rice. Mm, that um, good. Yeah, it was really, really good. Definitely going to make that recipe again. So in this podcast episode and accompanying blog article, if you do check out our website, we'll be discussing key nutrition recommendations for runners. So as we move through this content, we're going to make it applicable for new runners who are just starting out on their journey and need some actionable nutrition tips to fuel their body. But we'll also dig into some more advanced consideration for more experienced or elite runners. Um, So as you're listening to this content, something really important to keep in mind, and this pretty much goes for any nutrition topic, is that it needs to be individualized to Mm -hmm. you and your body and your goals and your lifestyle. So as we touch on these general recommendations, it's important to keep in mind that you may need to reach out to a registered dietitian to customize these protocols for your, your body and your goals. So first up, we wanted to tackle energy requirements. Yeah, so when fueling the runner, one of the first things um, we consider as dietitians are what are the energy or caloric requirements for the runner? And this kind of sets the base for Mm -hmm. different calculations we'll make in terms of identifying carbs, fat, and protein needs, which we will touch on uh, later in this podcast. So as dietitians, we'll typically use some different formulas to predict energy requirements and consider lean body mass and fat mass tissue to come up with an estimation of how many calories or how much energy the the runner approximately needs. Um, But again, in nutrition, everything is individualized. Mm -hmm. So when we're working with athletes and runners, we're really, you know, following up week to week in our conversations to make adjustments to our predictions to make sure they're fueled um, and they're reaching specific goals that they want to reach. On the note of energy requirements, I think something that we do see quite frequently, um, and maybe runners out there have experienced this, is appetite suppression. So Mm -hmm. when you are um, adding that running volume in, Mm -hmm. just simply think that um, blood flow is redirected from your stomach, and that can really change the appetite cues that you experience like around running after, just as your body's recovering. And so that's something we always take into consideration as well when we are working with athletes to ensure that they're well-fueled. And sometimes it's not as simple as listening to those body cues to fuel yourself. And we have to take a little bit more of a mechanical approach where we're really integrating, like, how can we eat on a little bit more of a schedule just to ensure that those baseline energy requirements are met? Yeah, that's something I definitely notice. Like when I'm weight training Mm -hmm. or doing more CrossFit, like I find my appetite cues are really high and I have no problem like eating regularly through the day other athletes might experience something different but with running for some reason like I really do experience Mm -hmm. that appetite suppression where you know after running it's like I feel like I 
could just not eat for a while and that'd be fine. But I know Mm -hmm. that I need to fuel within two hours of completing my run. And we'll talk more about Mm -hmm. nutrition timing later in the podcast. So I personally find that mechanical approach where I'm like, you know what? I need uh, a post-workout meal that has my carbs and protein. Um, That's really key for me to keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's such an important one to understand too, because we are so, it's like, so trained to like okay listen to our bodies right be very intuitive but it's not always that easy yeah athletes don't always do well with intuitive eating and I know some people are like well if I'm not hungry maybe you know what I'll just like skip out on those calories Mm -hmm. but it'll it'll bite you Mm -hmm. and I've done that to myself before where I haven't fueled properly around my training or post-workout and then your appetite really comes in full force later to in the evening and people struggle with overeating um, or feeling like there's these drastic fluctuations in their energy intake where they're not eating enough and then they're like I said overeating at other times so we want to keep it consistent through the day absolutely Mm -hmm. this might come up um, in the running realm but how might you tackle weight loss in context to running Yeah. So I think, you know, for some people, when they start a running program, perhaps the motivation to start running was to lose weight or lose body fat. Um, And so definitely like weight loss might come up as a goal in conjunction to running. So as dietitians, when we're working with our clients, we're really doing a careful assessment and having a discussion with our clients to determine if that's an appropriate goal for them and then how we'll approach it in a a safe way. And usually that means a modest calorie deficit, no more than 15% of their energy needs, and then really following up closely to make adjustments or decide when it's time to exit the calorie deficit if it's no longer appropriate for their body. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think, you know, a program like our nutrition coaching program is really valuable because when we're working with athletes in this program, Mm -hmm. we meet for an initial consult and we're following up every single week so we can track progress, assess how their training is going and make adjustments to the plan we've created to ensure it's appropriate for them. All right. The next section we want to dive into is the macronutrients. Mm -hmm. So our three macronutrients are carbohydrates, protein, and fat. And collectively, these actually make up our energy or caloric intake. But we want to optimize these ratios. um, And there are some unique considerations for a runner in terms of how much protein, carbs, and fats they might need to optimize their performance, health, or even make those shifts to body composition, like gaining muscle, maintaining Mm -hmm. muscle, or even losing body fat that. The first one is our carbohydrates. So when it comes to fueling a runner, carbohydrates are extremely beneficial for three key reasons. The first being carbs are the primary energy source for higher intensity running. The second, they do replenish our glycogen stores in our liver and muscle. And the third, they support the activity and recovery of our central nervous system. Yeah. Um, So When it comes to building carbs into the diet, people might be wondering, well, how much? So we can get into the nitty gritty like sports nutrition research where Mm -hmm. we're looking at three to five grams per day per kilo of body weight for they call it light running. So like around an hour per day. And then when we're getting into higher volumes of training, it could go up to like six to 12 grams per kilo per day of carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. So I know those numbers might be like, ah, what are you talking about? But as dietitians, when we're calculating carbohydrate needs, as well as protein and fat requirements, we're looking at things in terms of grams per kilogram. Um, And we're not just looking at percentage of total calories. Mm -hmm. So to apply this more practically to your lifestyle, it looks like adding carbs to all of your meals and snacks and sometimes multiple servings Mm -hmm. or sources of carbs, depending on the athlete's needs. And that's where working with a dietitian is really beneficial because we can create that more targeted plan for how much carb you're going to need to add to your meals and snacks, particularly some of those meals and snacks around your runs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a little bit later on in the podcast today, we are going to dive into a few more specifics around nutrient timing and what that might look like in terms of um, integrating those carbohydrates around your runs after to ensure that you're fully recovered. Yeah, absolutely. And if you aren't sure what sources of carbs Mm -hmm. you might add to your diet, take a look at our blog post because we'll share some different carbohydrate um, food ideas um, if you're looking to integrate carbs into meals and snacks. I feel like there's a lot of nuances around carbs and nutrition in general, but even with running. So a few questions we kind of see that get asked would be, 
can eating low carb improve my running? Yeah, so there's a lot of conversation about low-carb diets and ketogenic diets. So people might have heard of training um, running on a low-carb diet, which is sometimes called train low and compete high Mm -hmm. uh, when we're looking at the research. So essentially, if we're training without carbs, and that might mean eating a low carb diet or you know maybe doing a run after an overnight fast or just not eating enough mm-hmm. carb to you know meet those um carb requirements that we talked about earlier, then the body can become more fat adapted. So what that means is it um increases fat oxidation and does a better job at drawing fat from body fat stores. So in terms of whether or not this would improve your running, it might improve your running if you're a runner who's doing low intensity runners, like ultra marathon runners, where you're running at a low intensity and you're not going above 70% of your VO2 max. So it's like very slow running Mm -hmm. and it would be beneficial because you're sparing your glycogen and you're tapping into those fat stores that you have as body fat, which there's like a ton of energy, even in a very lean runner stored as body fat. But as soon as you start getting above 70% of your VO2 max, then your body will be optimized training with carb. That's the fuel it wants to use. So if you're a runner training fast, like you're training 5Ks and 10Ks Mm. or pushing a pace on your half marathon, from a performance perspective, you're going to benefit from carbohydrates and training with carb. So when we look at whether or not training with low carb improves performance. It does if you're working in your low gears, but not your high gears. So there can be some application of this approach for runners for improving their running at different intensities, but it does have to be individualized to the runner and, and their goals. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really interesting concept to understand. And I mean, for the most part, I think just focusing on adequate carbohydrate for most runners is beneficial, but then totally those nuances and the individualized approach, depending on your running style and goals, you really can get into the nitty gritty. Yeah. And I know it when I think about myself personally, mm-hmm. as a female runner, um, female runners are more prone to losing their period yeah. um, ha- and having hormone disruptions when they aren't training with enough energy or carbohydrates. So when I look at this approach, I'm like, eh, you know what? The trade-off might not be worth it for me if it ends up, you know, disrupting my health in other ways. So of course, like different considerations between men and women as well. Totally. Another question we often get uh, would be, should I carb load before my race? Yeah. So we actually wrote an article on the blog if you really want to mm-hmm. dive into some more specifics around carb loading before a race. Um, but essentially, if your race is less than 90 minutes, you don't need to carb yeah. load. You just need to eat enough carb going into the race mm-hmm. to be fueled. So I mean, for me, like that would be like a 10K. Like mm-hmm. I don't need to carb load for a 10K. I just need to make sure I'm fueled yeah. going into it. But if we're getting into races um, longer than 90 minutes, then there can be benefit from carb loading for about 36 to 48 hours mm-hmm. before the event. So we're looking at two days uh, where we're eating a high carbohydrate intake up to like 10 to 12 grams per kilo yeah. per day of carb. So very, very high. Um, and that's just optimizing muscle glycogen. So in that race, there's, you know, the maximum amount of glycogen that we can have on board to optimize performance. Yeah. And I think that's an important point that you made too. It's the 36 to 48 hours before, because sometimes it just thinks, oh, it's just the night before I'm going to just hit the carbs hard. It's like, no, it's, it's a couple days leading up, not just that one meal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when we're looking at these higher carbohydrate intakes, Again, it it comes down to individual tolerance as well. Like I had an athlete where we did a carb load in her body. She just didn't have her carb tolerance high enough to really Mm. feel good with those levels of carbohydrates. So she ended up feeling like, ah, you know what? I was a little bit bloated um, and and, and full feeling going into my race. So next time when we're approaching her race, we're going to do our carb load a little bit differently. Mm. So, of course, like there's some general recommendations, but we always need to customize it to the athlete. So while we're talking about carbohydrates and fueling for that run, 
what should we eat before a run? Yeah, and we will talk more about this in the nutrition timing section, but essentially you're going to want to eat carbs before you run. <laughs> Unless it's like a low intensity yes. recovery run, then maybe, you know what, you aren't eating carbs and, and you're okay fasting for that and, mm-hmm. and working on um, improving your ability to oxidize or tap into those body fat stores. But for the most part, if it's a higher intensity run, you want carbs. And later on, we'll dig into what you might consider in terms of how long you have to digest before you run. Because Runners, you know, typically don't feel great when they're running on a full stomach. That blood will flow to their stomach to digest the meal and not to the muscles to deliver oxygen and nutrition. So we have to be pretty particular with that pre-run meal or Mm -hmm. snack to make sure that it's giving the energy we need, particularly from carbs, um, but it's sitting well in the stomach. Yeah. Next up, we're going to talk about protein. So protein is essential for so many bodily processes and protein requirements are higher for runners as they're the building blocks of muscles, tendons, and other soft tissues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think everyone's used to hearing about protein, mm-hmm. like you need more. And 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 runners don't typically need as much right. as someone who's doing resistance training. But then oftentimes runners are running and doing resistance yeah. training. So that kind of factors into how we'll calculate their protein requirements. But when we're looking at a range of protein, usually on the low end, a runner would want like 1.2 grams per kilo up to like two grams per kilo or more. Again, mm-hmm. if they're they're weight training or maybe they're looking to build muscle or they're looking to preserve muscle mass if they are in that slight caloric deficit because they have a goal to lose some body fat. So how this gets applied is building protein into meals and snacks. <laughs> For sure, three meals, at least one snack. And then we might even be um, considering some timing of protein mm-hmm. with getting it before a run if it's tolerated and it's not disrupting digestion. And then definitely after a run, having a dose of protein. And of course, how much protein you need depends on your body weight. Um And so timing it throughout the day and around runs is really key for recovery, but most of all, getting enough protein throughout the day is what's going to allow the athlete to recover optimally. And again, if you're feeling unsure of protein sources, you can look at the blog article that accompanies this podcast, and we'll have some different ideas for protein-rich foods that you could look at adding to meals and snacks. So a common question I've been getting or seeing, I think just in the nutrition world in general, is that um, dairy is causing inflammation. So what would you say if someone said, should I cut dairy from my diet to prevent inflammation while we're talking on that protein? Yeah. Well, dairy ends up being an awesome source of protein, which is why this question comes up in the protein category. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, you know, maybe have heard that dairy foods are pro-inflammatory. And for people who tolerate them, they're actually not Mm -hmm. inflammatory at all. Um, Of course, if you have an allergy and intolerance, then that's totally different. It might not be the best protein source for you. But if an athlete can tolerate dairy-based proteins like Greek yogurt and cottage cheese or even protein powders, they're awesome sources of protein to add because they're very rich in an amino acid called leucine, Mm -hmm. which is one of the most potent amino acids when it comes to stimulating that muscle protein synthesis. So I'm always really happy when athletes are able to and open to include dairy in their diet because it's just such a powerful source of protein that we can build in as a source. Mm -hmm. Another question that we receive quite often um, when it comes to protein is, do I need to use a protein powder? Mm -hmm. So It's kind of one of those, it depends, right? It's not necessary at all, but we do find it helpful with athletes if we're struggling to meet their protein requirements from whole food sources. Mm -hmm. Um, But of course, there's also that piece where we do have to uh, integrate the digestibility aspect and tolerance and Mm -hmm. how people respond to different protein powders, but it can absolutely be a convenient source or even like a quicker digesting source for that athlete. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I like having protein powder as a source in my diet just because for some meals, it works really well Mm -hmm. to add a boost of protein to like a smoothie or I'll make protein pancakes. So like Darian said, not essential, but if you like having more variety in terms of sources, it might be handy for you to add in to meet your protein needs. Definitely. So what about BCAAs? Yeah, this is another common question when it comes to protein. So branch chain amino acids or BCAAs are supplements that contain three of our essential amino acids. So leucine, isoleucine, and valine. So these BCAAs are 
very, very popular as like a yummy beverage that you might drink um, in the gym or when you're running. Um, but really, there's not a lot of evidence that BCAAs would be a great supplement to add because we're better off getting all of the amino acids from mm -hmm. what we're drinking or eating. So if we were to supplement an essential amino acid supplement or an EAA would be better because right. we're getting all nine of those essential amino acids. But again, we can just meet our amino acid requirements by eating enough protein. So we don't necessarily need an EAA supplement, though sometimes for some runners, we'll use it as an inter-workout protein source yeah. um, to minimize muscle damage during more intense runs right. or runs that have a lot of eccentric lowering to them, like a downhill run. So there could be some application for runners, but for most runners, I would say do not worry about EAA supplements and definitely not BCAA supplements. We can meet your amino acid requirements through food. Mm -hmm. Unless you're like, I love this supplement. Yeah. I just want to have it. It's like, okay, as long as it's from a safe company, it's not going to harm you and Absolutely. you can continue to use it. All right. Next up, we will talk about our final macronutrient, uh, which is fat. Um, so fat requirements for runners and athletes are actually similar to those of non-athletes. Um, so we do want to make sure that we're getting fat in the diet because it's essential for different body processes like um, building cell membranes and absorbing fat-soluble vitamins, hormone regulation, brain health, and it's even an energy source for the body. Um, so usually we're looking at um, including at least least 20% of our total caloric mm -hmm. intake coming from fat. Um, but with runners, sometimes we have to be a little bit more particular in terms yeah. of how we're building fat in around runs, mm -hmm. especially before a run, because fat takes so long to digest yeah. and break down. If we're eating a high fat meal or snack before we run, we might have some of that digestive upset that would then impair performance um, when we're running. So Sometimes fat, um, like I said, we, we have to be uh, careful in how we're planning it in, but we definitely want to make sure we're getting enough. A question I get quite frequently and see is, should we supplement with fish oil? Yeah, so this is a common question. Um, and, and when it comes to fish oil, what we're looking at are the omega-3 fatty acids that would be in this fish oil. And as dietitians, we definitely want our clients consuming omega-3 fats. They're really important for lowering inflammation and supporting hormone production. So for the athlete, they will be beneficial. Um, and typically, we can source enough through food if we're eating fish like salmon two or more times a week. However, if you're not someone who in, enjoys salmon or other fatty omega-3 rich fish, then you might want to look at supplementing with a, an omega-3 supplement that contains at least 1,000 milligrams of EPA and DHA fatty mm -hmm. acids. Do you supplement with fish oil, Darian? Right now, I don't. I do some have some on the way, though, um, because it is something I talk to a lot of my clients and athletes about. So I'm like, I should probably practice what I preach. Um, but it is it's such a fantastic supplement. But what about you? I don't because I've been like nailing my mm -hmm. salmon goals, like just really prioritizing eating salmon um, a couple times a yeah. week, whether it's like canned salmon or, you know, buying the fresh salmon yeah. from Costco or keeping some in the freezer um, so that I can, you know, make it for different meals. So I've been doing good on that goal. But if ever I was to uh, not eat as much fish as I currently am, then I, I would mm -hmm. build it back in as a supplement for sure. So we're going to dive into a section all about hydration now. Um, maintaining optimal hydration is so important for a variety of reasons. It does, one, replace fluid lost through sweating, but it also ensures the delivery of oxygen and nutrients for energy production. This is one I emphasize a lot with clients and athletes because we kind of forget that it's like it's really aiding in delivery of those nutrients in our body and without adequate fluids and hydration like that's where the dehydration and consequences can happen mm -hmm. including fatigue right, right? you're just yeah. not producing energy yeah, yeah. um Optimal hydration also supplies electrolytes for our muscles and nerve functioning. It helps remove that accumulated waste and metabolic byproducts that we get. Um, but also, really important, it supports our digestive processes and regular bowel movements. Yeah, so all good things. And, mm -hmm. and when we're talking about fluid for runners, we think about it as... Like their their fluid requirements throughout the day, right. but then also their fluid requirements around a run. So mm -hmm. there's kind of two separate considerations that we're digging into. And so 
When we're looking at recommendations for how much water to drink each day, there's some more generic recommendations where they'll say, you know, about 2.2 liters for women and three liters for men. But really, that's going to vary based mm -hmm. on a number of factors. So environmental conditions like how hot or humid it is, um, your personal sweat rate, mm -hmm. um, your body composition. So just to say mm -hmm. like men need this and women need this, I think is a little bit too general, um, but there's no specific recommendations for exactly how to calculate fluid requirements. It's more taking into account um, these environmental factors or like I said, body composition alongside symptoms that might tell us you're not getting enough fluid and we need to bump up how much you're drinking. So what might be some symptoms you could look for um, if you were dehydrated? Yeah, so it could look like a headache, fatigue, muscle cramps, really dark yellow pee, which just a side note, if you take B vitamins, you will have dark yellow pee. So yes. then this cue is like hard to differentiate. You might have dry mouth and eyes. You might have disruption in bowel movements, like Darian said before. Mm -hmm. It could be that you experience constipation. Um, your heart rate might be abnormally high or your breathing rate. Um, and if you are running, you might have an increased perception of effort, like your mm -hmm. body's just working harder because it's not hydrated. And really, too, like when we're thinking about hydration, we're thinking about fluids, right. but we'll also talk about electrolytes as being mm -hmm. important for hydration. And we'll get more into the specifics of electrolytes around your run in a later section of this podcast. But know that electrolytes are abundant in the foods we eat. So if we can, you know, prioritize some nutrition habits around getting enough electrolytes through food, that's also going to aid in hydration alongside drinking enough water through the day. So what are some of the habits we can think about to optimize our electrolyte status? Yeah. So maybe before I dive in, I will say electrolytes is kind of a catch-all term mm -hmm. for some minerals. So sodium, potassium, magnesium, calcium, and chloride. So again, we, we may need to supplement with electrolytes, which we'll talk about later. But when sourcing from food, we can think about eating foods that are green. So green foods are going to be rich in magnesium. So looking at leafy greens, broccoli, cucumber, avocado, pumpkin seeds, I mean, whatever you like, <laughs> if you're going green, you're getting more magnesium. And that's a really good thing. Mm -hmm. And typically, if runners aren't getting enough magnesium, they're going to experience muscle cramps either during a run, or maybe I always notice it through the night, like I'll wake up mm. in the middle of the night with a charley horse in my like foot or calf and and so I know I need to up my magnesium um, either through food or potentially a supplement. Another habit runners can consider is eating yellow foods. Yellow foods are rich in potassium, which is another important electrolyte. So things like potatoes and sweet potatoes and squash and oranges and cantaloupe, um, these all contain potassium or, and are great to add in. One thing that I think most people underestimate the importance of when it comes to electrolytes is salt. So yeah. athletes and runners have very high salt needs. That's the main electrolyte we're losing through sweat. So athletes and runners need to add salt throughout the day, especially around runs when they're sweating mm -hmm. more and, and training hard. And so adding salt um, can look like just simply salting your food with some mm -hmm. good old table salt. It might be adding salty condiments like mustard and mm -hmm. hot sauce and pickles. Um, so it definitely is a consideration to be building yeah. salt into the diet. And just laughing with the like mustard comment. I was at a high school doing a presentation on some sports nutrition considerations. <laughs> and one of the students asked me, um, it was during a uh, I think it's the Oilers in Vegas playoffs, but they're like, I saw one of the players on the bench like eating a mustard packet. Like, what was he doing? And I was like, oh, he was like <laughs> nice. supplementing with some yeah. electrolytes like in yeah. between periods. He's like, oh, that's so weird. I was like, hey, it works. Yeah, and I mean, we'll talk more specifically about salt um, later on in the nutrition timing mm -hmm. section. But like really, people can lose a ton of salt yeah. through sweat, especially salty sweaters. And so... Again, oftentimes we're not limiting salt for the athlete and mm -hmm. we're actually trying to add more of it. Of course, this will be ind individualized. And if you have, you know, hypertension or another condition that would require that you be more cautious with your salt intake, we may have to tailor that to um, consider that condition alongside your hydration needs. Um, another habit for electrolytes specifically is including dairy or plant-based milks. Mm. So dairy foods or fortified plant-based milks contain calcium, which is another one of our electrolytes. And so, you know, great foods to be uh, including throughout the day to bump up how much calcium you're getting. 
And then, of course, when it comes to overall hydration, these habits were more electrolyte focused. But when you're, you know, eating hydrating foods like fruits and vegetables or maybe even choosing things like smoothies and soups, you're getting more fluid as well. So it's also helping with those um, water requirements that you need to, to meet throughout the day. So can you consume too much water? Yes, you mm-hmm. actually can. <laughs> and it's called hyponatremia. So um, this is seen oftentimes um, in like marathon runners and half marathon yeah. runners when they overhydrate during a race and they're not including enough salt in their drinks, then they end up diluting their electrolyte status and, and experience hyponatremia, which is really detrimental to health. Um, And typically symptoms will present like dehydration, but also include symptoms like nausea and confusion and vomiting. Um, And I mean, for most people throughout the day, you're likely not going to drink so much water that you, you know, Mm -hmm. cause hyponatremia. But also it's like sometimes people just pound water just for the sake of yeah. drinking a ton of water like you know I'm going to drink a gallon of water per day and if you don't need that much fluid it's probably not optimal and you'll just be diluting your electrolytes all right we're going to dive into some micronutrient specifics now and I just want to start by saying adequate intake of all of our micronutrients like vitamins and minerals is very important to optimize our health. Um, But the ones we're going to talk about today are just some particular ones of concerns for runners. So the first micronutrient that we consider is iron. So iron is very important because iron is involved in building hemoglobin and then hemoglobin is delivering that oxygen to the muscles so that they can produce energy. So if athletes aren't taking in enough iron, then they're not actually optimizing a training adaptation. Um, And so making sure athletes are getting enough iron is really important and particularly iron sources that are bioavailable. So we're looking at things like meats and chicken Mm -hmm. and eggs. But then also if the athlete isn't consuming those heme iron sources, then we might look at non-heme iron sources. So less bioavailable sources of iron like beans and lentils or leafy greens Mm -hmm. and looking at ways that we can enhance absorption by adding things like vitamin C so that they're absorbing the iron they need to optimize their performance and their health. And, you know, some groups of people like female runners um, are more susceptible to lower iron because they do have high requirements due to menstruation. Mm -hmm. So while runners don't necessarily need more iron or they don't necessarily need to supplement, they do need to consider getting enough. And then if they're iron deficient, supplementation or planning would be really important so that they're optimizing their iron status. The next one is vitamin D. Yeah, so vitamin D is really important for athletes and non-athletes, but for runners specifically, it helps regulate metabolic pathways like bone health and inflammation and muscle function. And really like vitamin D could be in our supplement section because Mm -hmm. most people won't be able to get enough vitamin D through food. And so people living in northern countries like Canada, where we also can't make it from the sun um, in in certain months through the winter, uh, will benefit from supplementing. So as registered dietitians, we're typically remembering recommending about 2,000 international units per day, and then perhaps more if blood tests have shown mm-hmm. low iron and we're collaborating with your, your doctor to adjust how much you're taking. Um, so again, you can think of, um, you know, sourcing vitamin D through food when you can, like eating fish or fortified milks. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, we do need that supplement to meet our needs. Another micronutrient consideration is antioxidants. Yeah, so antioxidants is kind of a catch-all term for many different Mm -hmm. types of antioxidants that we would find in foods like vegetables and berries and even like beans and lentils and nuts and seeds or things like green tea. Um, So antioxidants can decrease the inflammatory response, which then, then can help an athlete recover more quickly. So I like to focus on building antioxidant-rich foods into the diet of of my athletes and runners to optimize that recovery so that they can come back stronger for their next session and manage some of that inflammation that happens when we're training. There are some considerations, though, with antioxidants where because they can inhibit 
inflammation. They could actually interfere with the inflammation that we want Mm -hmm. um, post-run for the training adaptation. So this isn't necessarily a problem when we're eating whole food sources of antioxidants. But if people are supplementing with antioxidants like vitamin C or vitamin E, they can prevent that training adaptation. So we want to be careful of supplementation, particularly post-run, and more focus on antioxidant-rich foods that we're building into the diet throughout the day. So a common question we do get is, should I take a multivitamin? My take is that most athletes should be able to obtain their micronutrient needs through a well-balanced diet, the one exception being vitamin D. And so focusing on whole foods will meet your micronutrient needs, and then you don't need a multivitamin. However, there are cases where maybe the athlete can't eat a particular food because of an intolerance or allergy, um, or maybe, you know, for other reasons, we need to increase their intake of a certain micronutrient. So then we would look at supplementing. So, I mean, a multivitamin could be a consideration, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily one I would say just to take if you are eating a well-rounded diet. Yeah, I agree with that. And some, in many cases too, the different multivitamins, they aren't really providing the nutrients in sufficient doses anyway. So if we can just really look at the base intake as a whole and then maybe supplement specifically as needed, I find there's a lot more benefit that way too. Yeah. In this next section, we're going to talk more about nutrition timing, which is quite important for the runner. So when we're thinking nutrition timing, we're thinking what you're eating before Mm -hmm. a run, what you might be eating or drinking during a run and then what you're eating after a run. So we talked about it a little bit in the carbohydrate section where before a run, we typically want to include carbohydrates as the energy source. However, how long you have to digest will dictate whether or not you're adding protein in Mm -hmm. or even fat or fiber. So Courtney, what if you only had about 30 minutes before a run? If I only had 30 minutes, that's not a lot of time to digest. So I'd definitely be thinking I want something that digests quickly so it's not hitting, sitting heavy in my stomach, but I want it to be carb. So mm-hmm. I choose um, a carb that I know digests well for me, which would typically be a banana Mm -hmm. would be my go-to or like a half of an oatmeal bar. Um, But I know some other athletes might like even faster digesting carbs, like a couple dates or Mm -hmm. dried mango or even like those fruit squeeze packs. Darian, I know you love those. (laughs) Um, I'd also be thinking about fluids. So can I get, um, you know, a glass of water in before my run? And we can get into the nitty gritty of exactly how much fluid athletes need based on their body weight. Um, But essentially I'm thinking, easy to digest carbs and fluids. I'll worry about protein (laughs) post-workout though, since I didn't get any before my workout. Darian, what if you had 60 minutes-ish to Mm -hmm. digest? Yeah, if I had 60 minutes-ish, I would still be prioritizing that carbohydrate, but I would add either a protein or a fat, but not necessarily both, Mm -hmm. just because they both are slower digesting um, foods. So I would focus on one or the other. So maybe if I was going to run off of your banana, I might add some peanut butter to it just to prolong the digestion a little bit until I'm ready to really access that fuel source. Um, Or, you know, maybe I'd even do a small bowl of yogurt with some lower fiber granola or just fruit mixed in it. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, just prioritizing that carb and then adding one or the other element to it, protein Mm -hmm. or fat. Yep. And what I'd add here is that if Darian chose to add the fat, Mm -hmm. then having protein Mm post-workout is even more More, important for her because she's not going into the session with protein in her system. Um, Though I'm always like, eat protein post-workout no matter what, even if you had it before. Absolutely. Um, What if you had 90 minutes or more to digest? What would you be thinking about um, as a pre-run meal or snack? Yeah, if I had 90 minutes, then I would be looking at all three of my macronutrients. So for sure, those great carbohydrates, but I would also add protein and fat. Mm -hmm. Just knowing that, hey, 90 minutes is going to be enough for those foods to digest and again, be able to optimize my energy intake when I get to that running session. Um, I mean, A perfect example would be my egg white oatmeal. So if my carbohydrates from my oats, add some egg whites mixed in for my protein. I probably top it with some nuts or seeds, maybe Mm -hmm. some pumpkin seeds, maybe even some berries. Mm -hmm. Um, But just that mixture of elements. 
Yeah. And of course, like hydration as well. Mm -hmm. And this will be very individualized. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Darian might find she digests a mixed meal like that yeah. 90 minutes beforehand, no problem. And then another athlete might be like, that's still too much yeah. fat and fiber for me. It sits too heavy. I need to cut some of that out totally. in my pre run meal and so you know especially for race day yeah. two and yeah. people are like a little Extra anxious or yep. anxious or excited about the run we might have to be even more careful or yeah. particular with how we're building Absolutely. the meal and this is where we need to practice yeah. for the athlete and figure out what is the optimal strategy for you yes. so you know what works for your body and then when you go to do your race it's like yep i know i got this that's a big one train your gut right yeah yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. so darian would you ever run fasted yeah, that's a great question. I would say I'm just slowly getting into a little bit more running. But what I would really consider is what would be the intensity of the output or my goal for that running session. Mm -hmm. So kind of earlier when we talked about that kind of slower intensity state or the mm -hmm. high intensity state, what that might look like. If I was just going for, you know, maybe a slower long run or just a nice leisurely jog, I would be totally fine running fasted. But if I did know, maybe I was even like integrating some intervals or sprints or just knew I had some higher output, I personally would know that I would need that carbohydrate to keep me pushing through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I would say something similar. Mm -hmm. So Courtney, what about intra or during a run? What might that fuel or considerations look like? Yeah, so whether and how much carb fluid or electrolytes you would eat or drink during a run definitely depends on the duration and the intensity of the run. So if your run is 60 minutes or less, you don't need to eat or drink anything. You should be well fueled from what you've eaten the day before to have those muscle glycogen stores topped up. And then, you know, what you ate before your run is going to fuel you throughout and then you'll refuel after. So you don't need to eat or drink anything. Just as like a sidebar, when we're getting into like elite nutrition for mm -hmm. runners, some runners will do these carbohydrate mouth rinses for yeah. like 45 minute to 75 minute run where that carbohydrate in the mouth literally just stimulates the brain essentially to be excited and like, okay, yeah, let's <laughs> keep going and let's keep up this pace. So I actually have tried that before <laughs> um, and it is, it, I, I find it helps. Um, but for the most part, you don't need to be eating or drinking during a run that's 60 minutes or less. Um, for greater than 90 minutes, though, that's when we're thinking, okay, we need carbohydrate, right. we need fluids, and we need electrolytes. So typically for carbohydrates, we're looking at fueling with between 30 and 60 grams of carb per hour um, for runs less than two and a half hours or those lower intensity runs. And then when we're getting into higher intensity, longer runs, so runs longer than two and a half hours, whether it's like a training or a race, we're looking at 60 to 90 grams of carbs per hour, depending on how your gut tolerates carbohydrates while you're running. Mm -hmm. Next up, we're considering fluid during the run. So we need about 400 to 800 mils of fluid per hour. And this will depend on the athlete's sweat rate as well. So sometimes as dietitians will get into calculating what the athlete's sweat rate is by considering their weight before and after training to figure, how, figure out how much fluid mm -hmm. they're losing. But of course, like fluid needs will depend on environment. So if it's really hot and humid and windy, you'll need more fluid compared to when it's cooler. Um, so around 400 to 800 mils per hour. And a lot of people will have their fluid mixed up with their mm -hmm. carbs, like a yep. liquid carb, and then add their electrolytes. So that's the third consideration for yeah. during a run. We need electrolytes. And the main electrolyte we care about is that sodium. We need typically like at least 300 milligrams per hour up to like a thousand milligrams per hour for athletes who are salty sweaters. Um, or maybe it's like a, an environment where their sweat rate's a lot higher. Um, so we'd be looking at adding electrolytes to their fluids um, so that we get carbs, fluids, and electrolytes as our intra-workout fueling strategy for runs greater than 90 minutes. All right, so we've talked about pre and intra-run. What about post-run? Yeah, so we definitely want to eat within two hours of completing our run. So that gives us a little bit of a window for those runners who maybe don't have an appetite first thing after completing their run. Um, 
but two hours post-workout, you want to have eaten something and you want to have included protein in that meal. Um, and we can calculate exactly how much protein you need based on your body weight and your total protein requirements. But just think, can I get a, a, a protein food in this post-workout meal? Ideally, like, you know, depending on body weight, it'll be around like 20 to 40 grams mm-hmm. of protein, maybe even more. Next, we will be adding carbs to that post-workout meal. So that's going to help increase our glycogen so that we are optimizing our recovery. Um, We can totally get into specifics and help clients calculate the optimal carbohydrate ratio for their specific needs. But we're kind of usually looking at about a three to one carb to protein ratio to optimize that recovery and feeling aspect. And again, the carbohydrate becomes quite important if we are looking at back-to-back like sessions or subsequent training for athletes and we can kind of really experiment and play around with different carbohydrate sources based on their digestibility Mm -hmm. as well yeah I also like to think about including antioxidants in Mm -hmm. my post-run or post-workout meal so just adding in some veggies or some berries to get some of those antioxidants that will help manage the inflammation that happens when we're training and running so you'll often see my post-workout plate include some type of vegetable or berry in it. So we also want to think about fluids after our run. So we can be drinking water, obviously, to rehydrate. Maybe we're also including other hydrating foods. Maybe we choose to have a soup or a smoothie or include lots of fruits and veggies to to offer some of those uh, fluids as well. But definitely drinking some water. And in some cases... Uh, if an athlete's dehydrated, meaning they've lost more than two to three percent of their body weight, then we might have to eat, uh, be a little bit more calculated in terms of how much fluid we're drinking and our strategy to rehydrate with electrolytes as well. I would also think salt in my post-run yeah. meal, so adding some source of sodium to help with my hydration. So not just getting the fluid, but getting the electrolyte or the sodium that will help me hold on to that fluid I'm consuming and rehydrate. In our final section, we are going to dive into our supplements. Yeah. So specific supplements that might be supportive for a runner include electrolytes. So an electrolyte supplement is definitely going to be needed for runners running longer than 90 minutes who need that you know, interrun electrolyte source or runners who struggle with hydration or dehydration symptoms like cramping who might need to add some extra Mm -hmm. electrolyte supplementation outside of what they're getting from food. And so as dietitians, we're often recommending different products. We really like the noon tablets. Mm -hmm. Those are great. Um, Organica has an electrolyte that has a nice ratio Um, or the Element brand um, spelled L-M-N-T. They have a thousand milligrams of sodium and their electrolytes. So for people who are salty sweaters and have those high sodium needs, I really like that option. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. I think with electrolytes too, it's just like being curious and like really questioning, you know, what's in it in terms of, is it a sufficient electrolyte supplement? Mm -hmm. Because I feel like there's just so many out there now. There's a few the other day I saw that were like marketed as electrolyte supplements and they had less than 30 milligrams of sodium. And There's a few at like a gas station that they're like just so flashy and fancy. And again, just very low content of those electrolytes and just not really going to do the job if that's what we're actually buying those products for. Yeah, it's actually kind of annoying. (laughs) Yeah, But definitely as a consumer, you have to read the labels and know what you're looking for. Next up, an athlete might need a carb supplement. So like we said, for runs long, lasting longer than 90 minutes, we need to be fueling with carbohydrates. So an athlete might choose like a liquid form of carb mm-hmm. that they're mixing into their water, or maybe they're choosing like gels or, or mm-hmm. blocks or those different options, yeah. or perhaps they're just using food sources yeah. if they, they want to. Um, but definitely those carb sources that are well tolerated and easy to digest and consume during a run would be a consideration. Uh, next would be caffeine. So caffeine is a performance enhancing, I guess, supplement, we could call it here, um, that can be beneficial for runners to simulate the nat- central nervous system um, before and during your run. So there are some specific recommendations in terms of how much caffeine, um, and but it's really just up to the uh, runner itself too on their tolerance because some people are very sensitive to caffeine and find that just a little bit is enough to maybe give them too high of a heart rate or induce um, Mm. anxiety. But just knowing that caffeine actually is a very well-researched supplement in its proposed benefits for enhancing our um, 
state during your runs, but just being safe and cognizant about how much you're using too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that could look like for race day, having a dose of caffeine before you run. Mm -hmm. And then some supplements um, like the carb gels or blocks will have caffeine added so that you're adding caffeine about every two hours to keep yourself stimulated and performing optimally. I will say that when it comes to training, I usually don't encourage my athletes Mm -hmm. to add caffeine, especially if they're training in the afternoon when they're getting close to bedtime because the benefits of that caffeine won't be beneficial if it's then compromising sleep, which caffeine has a long half-life, meaning it can disrupt your sleep when consumed too close to bed. So definitely something to consider, but just Mm -hmm. tailoring it to the athlete and their tolerance. Yeah. And I think too, it's like the tolerance can build up quite quickly. So again, if you're just like using, (laughs) Courtney's looking at me. During I love a, my perhaps a high caffeine <laughs> <Yeah>. tolerance. Um, <laughs> so something I'm trying to practice myself, but it's again, like maybe saving the higher doses for when you really need it versus like hitting it hard every single training session, every single day. It's like, no, you know, maybe you're doing a little bit, but it's like saving it for when you feel your body's going to be most beneficial or you know, you're really hitting that hard run. Yeah. And we could go down a rabbit hole here, but I think sometimes people rely on caffeine Mm -hmm. supplementation because they're not recovering optimally, whether that means they're not fueling properly, they're not sleeping enough, they're not resting enough. So if they're using caffeine to get excited for every training Mm -hmm. session, it might be worth looking into whether recovery is optimal in other areas. Um, magnesium is another supplement uh, that can actually be required for athletes who do not consume adequate magnesium through whole food sources or athletes specifically if they're experiencing muscle cramping. Yeah. So athletes just have higher demands for magnesium mm-hmm. based on like their training intensity or even what they're losing through sweat. So in some cases, we do need to add that magnesium supplement. Mm-hmm. Usually we'll add it before bed to potentially assist yeah. in sleep as well. So it's a supplement where we you know, want to customize it to you yeah. to determine whether or not you need it. But it can be beneficial for yeah. sure for a runner. Yeah. And it is one I like to um, for a lot of my athletes and even just women specifically too, because it does have a more relaxing effect on our CNS. So, you know, taking it before bed, it can also just support a little bit extra recovery and sleep too. Yeah. Another one would be omega-3. We won't talk about this too much because we already touched on it. But again, if you're not consuming fish regularly, specifically the omega-3 rich fish like salmon and trout and sardines, then this might be a supplement to consider. And again, we need to source the right supplement so you're actually getting enough of the DHA and EPA fatty acids, which are the active forms we're looking to uh, source. And then finally, we did touch on it, but protein powder could be a supplement consideration for athletes if they're finding they are struggling to meet their protein needs through whole foods alone, or they want an extra source in the day because they like making yummy things like protein smoothies or protein Mm -hmm. pancakes. So not essential, but something to consider. Thank you for listening to our conversation all about nutrition for runners. Whether you are new to running or more advanced, we hope a tip we shared can help you take your performance to the next level. When it comes to fueling up as a runner, these general tips will need to be fine-tuned for your unique body, lifestyle, and goals. For this reason, we highly recommend working with a registered dietitian with experience in sports nutrition who can calculate your calorie and macronutrient needs, assess your training plan and running goals, and create an action plan to keep you fueled, hydrated, and recovered. We support endurance athletes through our comprehensive nutrition coaching program, where we actually get to meet with you every week for 12 weeks. So we form quite the relationship Mm -hmm. with our clients (laughs) and we help them optimize their training diet, their race day diet, their meal timing and more so that they can reach their running goals. But of course, if you don't want to work with us weekly, then you can always uh, work with us through our individualized nutrition program where we meet with you for a one-time consult, including a complete assessment and nutrition planning for your goals. And then we follow up less frequently, kind of on an as-needed basis to support you. If you did enjoy this episode, you can support us by sharing the episode or the blog article with a friend. This helps us to continue to be able to invest time in creating this type of content to share with the world. Thanks for spending your time with us. To further fill your plate, follow us on social media using the links in our show notes or visit us online at vitalitynutrition.ca. And as always, we welcome your ratings and reviews wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Stay fed, stay moving, and stay well. Produced at Sound Lounge by T-Bone.